Overdrive. Hello and welcome to Overdrive, a program that tries to spread the word about trains, planes and automobiles. I'm David Brown and in this program we have news stories including the public is given an opportunity to experience automatic emergency braking systems. We chat to Rob Fraser about some electric cars and how they are developing and we have an extended quirky news session with Brian Smith including one suggestion to install a monorail in Auckland. You can find more information at drivenmedia.com.au or previous programs are available as podcasts on iTunes or Spotify. Or you can go to our Facebook site, Overdrive City. So let's begin the program with the news. Over the years, it has been found that drivers have not used safety devices, such as anti-lock braking, to their full capacity because they are unfamiliar with the frantic circumstances of an emergency situation. Now, Australasia's independent vehicle safety advocate, ANCAP Safety, has provided consumers with the ability to experience active collision avoidance technology firsthand. Members of the public were able to experience the autonomous braking technology in a controlled environment through a series of live drive demonstrations at the Bend Motorsport Park as part of a collaborative partnership with the Confederation of Australian Motorsport. Consumers rode inside an AEB-equipped Hyundai Santa Fe, which was driven towards a static demonstration vehicle. The outcome of the potential collision was averted through the emergency intervention of the vehicle system. Video of the demonstrations and consumer reactions can be seen by going to our website at drivenmedia.com.au. The small New South Wales town of Tamworth was the first place in Australia to supply electricity to the public at large. Tamworth switched on arc and incandescent street lighting on the 9th of November 1888. Since then, street lights have come in all shapes and sizes. Now, a new competition from the Mayor's Office in Los Angeles invites designers to reimagine the rich history of civil illumination and create next-generation streetlights. The hope is to elevate the look as well as the utility of the lamps. Potential new uses for street lamps could include electric vehicle charging stations, Wi-Fi hubs and housing systems to count traffic. Here at the Overdrive program, we have long held the belief that autonomous vehicles that can cope with all trips to all locations will not happen in the near future. The technology is best suited for clearly defined routes and thus is well suited for public transport. This is reflected in the Project CAV 4th, which has demonstrated Europe's first full-size autonomous bus at an event in Glasgow as part of Scotland's Connected and Autonomous Vehicles Summit. The autonomous buses will provide a service capability of carrying up to 42 passengers on the 22-kilometre long journey across a bridge with a capacity for up to 10,000 passengers a week. The buses will operate to SAE Level 4 standard, which means that a driver will remain on board during any journey in line with current UK regulations. 
Perhaps it was inevitable that a marketing company would promote the use of advertising screens on top of Uber and Lyft vehicles as they circulate around the streets. A startup called Firefly has started installing portable advertising billboards on the roofs of ride-hailing vehicles in five major cities across the country. But they have taken this a step further. Their mini billboards will start offering an even more valuable commodity, data. The company's new high-resolution screens can sense temperature and quantify pollution and track the acceleration and braking patterns of their drivers. Firefly is just one of several startups trying to harness the advertising potential introduced by an army of drivers doing laps around the city full-time. Rapify and Carvertize will cover your entire car in advertisements. Play Octopus offers in-car games for ride-hailing passengers interspersed with ads. Overdrive has just had a ride in Tesla's latest car, the Model 3. With only a large screen and no dials, it takes a while to get used to, but the information can be reassuring. The screen will show how the car is detecting vehicles, motorbikes and pedestrians around the vehicle. This is an important step in letting people understand how much the car is comprehending about the situation around them, rather than leaving drivers to have to trust technology that is hidden within a black box. The Tesla has a number of other features that make it stand out from traditional cars, some of which are quite silly. You can set the system up so that whenever you turn the indicators on, the car makes a sound of a fart inside the cabin. And that has been the news. With the growth of prestige SUVs in recent years, there's also been a surge in what you'd call sporty SUVs as well. Rob Fraser's just spent a week in one of the best. I just love powerful sport SUVs, and driving the Audi SQ7 Black Edition this week has satisfied that desire for a while. Audi SQ7 will seat five in comfort and seven occasionally. It is full of the latest safety and technology features from Audi and is powered by a stunning four-litre twin-turbo V8 diesel engine that pumps out 320 kilowatts and 900 newton metres of torque runs through Audi's Quattro drivetrain and an 8-speed automatic. This family SUV will race from 0 to 100 in just under 5 seconds and top out at a controlled 250 kilometres an hour, all the while feeling as though it is effortless. The continual linear surge under acceleration is pure joy. The Audi SQ7 at around 174000 plus the usual costs sits in rarefied air and it's a pleasure to breathe it once in a while. This is Overdrive across Australia. Well, I've been driving a couple of electric cars recently, and I've got to say, I think there's an evolution happening here. And who better to talk about that than our good friend Rob Fraser? Hey, Rob, are you driven the Jaguar I Pace? I have, David. Hmm. Few weeks ago, yeah. How did you find it? I actually really enjoyed it. It was an interesting experience. It's totally different driving an electric car to a normal car, and something I think you just got to get a little bit used to. I think that adaption to it is something that we we're going to evolve. We get into arguments of yeah, well, sort of stuff in the world today, where someone says something and they say yeah, well, it's hard to drive, so I'll never drive one people that use a little fact as though it totally changes you know or defines the world 
I think things will change. Kids are driving less is an example of how society is changing. The thing about the Jaguar is it's a big car. It's a big SUV. Big, comfortable, quiet, all the luxury you'd expect from Jaguar and, and not what you expect, I guess, from an electric car. I'm loving them now because when you get in them, they're so quiet. In the morning when I get up and I'm trying to get my brain into gear or even at night after a long day at work or whatever, I just get into a car and it has a quiet ambience about it that relaxes me, that relaxes me quite significantly. And do you know what the really good thing about that is, is when you're in shopping centres, you can scare people like anything because you just move the car as they're walking past you. <laughs> I'm sorry, is that inappropriate? <laughs> it is an issue where, of course, in America it will become mandatory that they make a, a generated noise. That's exactly right. Where they drive, I think it's below 12 miles, 20 kilometres an hour. The other thing, though, is that, I mean, the size of the battery in that Jaguar is enormous. I think it's about 95 kilowatt hours or something. It's it's really quite huge. But I've got to say, boy, it still needs to have a consideration of when it says it's got a range of 470 k's. You know, that's dependent on a lot of factors. It, look, it is air conditioning, how do you accelerate, all that type of stuff. The other thing about the Jaguar I've found is that, I mean, you can adjust the degree of braking regeneration, but... If you're on sort of full towed odds, you don't need to brake. You just take your full accelerator and the thing just stops. Yes. Regenerative braking is when you take your foot off the accelerator, of course, it becomes a charge. It uses the energy of slowing down. But it feels then a bit like driving in treacle. Whoosh. It, it slows your car down. You don't coast as much as you might. I found actually some of the Jaguar controls, even the lane keep assist, were particularly aggressive. That's a topic for another day, but the... The intrusion of technology now and taking over where you place your vehicle on the road is a bit of an issue, I think. Hmm. It was a case where, at times, I felt I was fighting the car rather than the car assisting me. Yes, you're almost like bouncing from one lane line to the other lane line, backwards and forwards, a bit like my golf shots. (laughs) (laughs) That's a perfect metaphor. Well, that's an extreme metaphor, let's say that. (laughs) One side of the fairway to the other. Where we go? <laughs> there is what they're now calling following uh, systems that take a longer look at the road and so they don't do that sort of weaving where it finds the the markings on the right hand side, moves away from them until it finds it on the left hand side, then moves away from that. Yeah. Some of the early Toyotas, even Lexus, used to do that so that you meandered up the road. Well, it's not like your golf because it was only a slight variation rather than a full bore slice or hook. <laughs> yes, yes. Look, I, I think the technology can advance at a rapid rate. I think where the real issue is is the practical day-to-day of the infrastructure around electric cars and and the change in consumer habits that's required to actually use a car like this. One of our further talks, I will talk about the Kona. This will amaze you. Someone returned the Kona but had, hadn't put the charging cables back in. You're kidding. No, you wouldn't believe it, would you? No. You had the Kona. Let's move on. The Bad, bad reception, David. Can't hear you. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about that because it made me go through a series of processes to try and get the thing charged. And the point about it is that at the moment, it's not as good, anywhere near as good as it should be, 
but it'll get better. It'll evolve. There'll be more of them. There will be a better understanding. It'll be more of a majority than it is at the moment. It is very much a minority. I looked at the figures. Only about 3% of cars are actually electric or hybrid. There's not as many hybrids out there at the moment being sold out there at the moment as I thought there might be. See, I find that amazing, considering, as, as you all know, I'm not the greatest fan of electrification in the world, but I am now a huge fan of hybrids. Yes. Because of, you know, it, it gives you excellent fuel economy as, as well as not having to change your consumer habits at all or your driving habits. Mm. I would have thought there would have been a lot more hybrids on sold. You know, for example, the Camry, Toyota Camry hybrid is an excellent vehicle. And you know what? It gives me that bit of quietness in the morning. I hopped into a RAV4 after being delayed and, you know, it was midnight and I picked the car up then and I hopped in it and, you know, it had been one of those days and I'd just been driving a fairly, you know, luxury car. I hopped in this RAV4 and my immediate response, I didn't think I was getting a hybrid this time. I thought, you know, I was going to get a normal one, then a hybrid. I hopped in it and it went whoosh and I thought, oh my goodness, this is really quiet. Of course, it was hybrid. Yes. Yeah. And it's only the first 200 metres, but I've got to tell you, it made me feel better. It does relax you a little bit, that's for sure. The Jag was not cheap either, 124000 to 146000 plus on roads. But I've got to tell you, it is nice. It looks lovely. It, it is an elegant car. Oh, it's beautiful. It is the only really big fully electric car on the market that we've got here in Australia at the moment. That's true. Mm. That's true. I mean, the thing that I see about electrification is that really it's designed for around city driving. Mm. You know, the shorter distances where you can charge the vehicle overnight or every second night if you need to. And But there's a still a lot of infrastructure issues around that. For example, if you're, you know, the ideal person would be a person that lives in a block of units who drives five or ten k's to work and, you know, just does inner city type driving. Mm. But the issue there is there's probably only two or three charges in the whole block of units for 100 blocks, 100 apartments. Mm. You know, somebody will put their car on overnight and leave it there, and all of a sudden you can't charge your car when you need to. So, And I'm sure these things will work themselves out, but I think the infrastructure has to improve dramatically before there's a, a dramatic uptake in the the acceptance of them. Yep, I think that's its evolution. The NRMA have put out some for, you know free charges around, but then find that, I think your point, someone put plugs it in and then leaves it all day. So they're not only getting charging, they're getting parking as well yes yes we drove the jaguar down to wollongong and we parked in the supermarket there for a while to collect a few things and it was wonderful because there was a parking spot near the entry level it was wonderful took a little bit of going around because we'd opened the bonnet and shut it and it appeared to be totally shut i leant on it but we then tried to lock the car and it wouldn't lock and it took our good friend Alan Zervis to actually, after opening and shutting every door and what have you, to do the same with the bonnet, and then it locked as well. So it's not to do with electric cars, it's to do with, well, maybe your point, most cars are doing more things for you than uh, you, you might want, and if they don't work perfectly, you get very frustrated. That's true. Hey, Rob, we'll catch up and we'll talk about uh, electric cars and the Kona later. Thanks, mate. Thanks, David. You're listening to Overdrive. Among the small SUVs, Kia has a perennial favourite in the Sportage. Rob Fraser has been driving the latest model. 
Kia Sportage almost personifies the small, medium SUV segment. The GT Line diesel is priced from just under $48,000 plus the usual costs and is completely full of both safety and comfort features that cars costing many thousands more often have as options. Powered by a 2-litre diesel engine and part-time all-wheel drive and an 8-speed automatic transmission, the Sportage provides a smooth and relaxed drive on the Australian-tuned suspension. It will sit 5 in relative comfort with enough room for luggage if they pack light. It's ideal for a smaller family or a couple that wants something with room. Sportage is one of those cars that you sit in and it feels comfortable right from the first drive. It does absolutely nothing wrong and with Kia's extensive seven-year customer-owner package, you can expect many years of fuss-free motoring. This is Overdrive across Australia. The sale of new cars in Australia continues to decline and diesel sales are being particularly hard hit. David Brown reports electric and hybrid vehicles are actually doing pretty well, at least in percentage terms. The latest vehicle sales figures for Australia covering the month of October 2019 show a decline of 9.1%, which is higher than the yearly average. This is the 19th consecutive month of declining sales in the Australian automotive market. Sales are down across all buyer types, with private sales down 5%, business sales down 8% and government sales down 7%. Diesel-engined vehicles are suffering a bad reputation and, excluding heavy vehicles, diesel sales are down nearly 11% for the month. Electric and hybrid vehicle sales have increased over 150%, but the absolute numbers are only small. This is Overdrive across Australia. And Brian Smith, our transport expert, joins us for some unusual news. Brian, you have a story about a proposal for Auckland, a suburb you've worked in, what a city you've worked in. It's a city I've worked in a lot in New Zealand, of course, and we're talking Auckland, not Springfield. <laughs> Simpson style or Shelbyville. Monorail, monorail. <laughs> yes, but it's a, it is about a monorail, David. Um, so... Many years ago, one of the first projects that I worked on in Auckland was uh, an elevated little pod thing, which would carry about six or eight people, uh, and, it, and it would swoop, you know, across all of the waterways in Auckland, and, and it was the magical mode that was going to solve everything. And, of course, it, it didn't, but it was a, a monorail-style thing, and they just keep coming back. The monorail is, is an idea that just won't die. They never work terribly well in cities. They might work in kind of small areas or, um, you know, uh, air, small airports or or even, uh, you know, Disney-style places. But, but look, it's, it's popped up again. Um, a mayoral candidate has uh, thrown his weight behind or hitched his wagon to the star of the monorail. He believes it's the, it's the answer uh, to Auckland's public transport puzzle. So... Um, his idea, this is Craig Lord is the fellow, he just wants to, to drop light rail because he thinks it'll destroy corridors, um, but to go with monorail because it can be built across waterways and harbours and, uh, and it, to connect the North Shore of, of Auckland on the other side of their Harbour Bridge to the rest of the city. So he's pushing it very hard. Uh, Auckland Transport, who's the organisation that uh, plans and um, delivers transport there or really plans it, um, 
they gave you a bunch of uh, reasons why it wouldn't work. And um, uh, one of the things that always comes up with monorails is that, particularly if you've got a city with any kind of visual ben- uh, sort of qualities or or heritage buildings and the like or attractive areas, you know, it's seen as quite disruptive to have this gigantic rail going through. And of course, you've got to get people up up to that level, uh, so it doesn't. It's not an easy thing for large numbers of people to do. It's not an easy thing for people with mobility impairments to do. But it's just amazing to see that it's still seen as a as a sort of a solution for a city, a monorail. What do, what do you think of monorails, David? I presume Councillor Lord was uh, cognizant of factors such as capacity. <laughs> yeah. Perhaps not as much as he thinks he is. Perhaps, David. Origin and destination and the (laughs) diversity of a city. See, Auckland's got quite a good rail network now. It um, it, it was lucky in that uh, in the sort of depressed times that the rail lines were never sold off, and uh, they've now electrified their lines. They're constructing a a city rail uh, underground city rail link that'll tie it all together, and so they've got a very strong fixed mode system that's supported by buses they're planning for light rail they've got ferries um you know this would be yet another mode and of course david then you know what's the problem that's trying to solve there's already a road link across um the harbour and buses use that and and there is planning eventually for people looking at uh underground rail to the north shore it's just uh it strikes me it's a it's a solution looking for a problem um, and that many, many times people will go on holidays or, or, or read about something and be convinced that this is the solution for their city, no matter the difference between the city that they've looked at and the city that they actually live in. Oh, sorry, sorry, Brian, I, I think you've missed the whole point. You uh, asked what the issue is. The issue, of course, is to get elected. That's right. <laughs> do that. We need a monorail. It's vision, isn't it? It's got vision. The name's Lanley, Lyle Lanley. And I come before you good people tonight with an idea. Probably the greatest... Oh, it's not for you. It's more of a Shelbyville idea. Now, wait just a minute. We're twice as smart as the people of Shelbyville. Just tell us your idea and we'll vote for it. All right. I tell you what I'll do. I'll show you my idea. I give you the Springfield Monorail. I've sold monorails to Brockway, Ogdenville, and North Haverbrook, and by gum it put them on the map. Well, sir, there's nothing on earth like a genuine, bona fide, electrified six-car monorail. what I say? Monorail. What's it called? Monorail. That's right, monorail. 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 I hear those things are awfully loud. It glides as softly as a cloud. Is there a chance the track could bend? Not on your life, my Hindu friend. What about us, Brendan Slobs? You'll be given cushy jobs. Were you sent here by the devil? No good, sir. I'm on the level. The ring came off my pudding can. Take my penknife, my good man. I swear it's Springfield's only choice. Throw up your hands and raise your voice. What's it called? Once again. Sorry, Mom, the mother's spoken. Mario! 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 Mario
All right, Brian, well, I think I hear your point about the monorail. Laurie Brereton in New South Wales may disagree with you. But then again, he built one and, of course, it has been pulled down. We'll catch up next time. Always a pleasure, David. You're listening to Overdrive. The recent bushfires have created havoc for many. David Brown reports that Rally Australia has cancelled a major event without hesitation and instead they've been giving a helping hand. Rally Australia has cancelled the Coffs Harbour International Rally because of the bushfires. The event included the final round of the 2019 FIA World Rally Championship. The safety of more than 1,000 people involved as officials, competitors and in support roles was one of the major concerns. Event organisers almost immediately launched a series of activities to raise money to help firefighters and the community. World Rally drivers autographed hundreds of unsold souvenirs to be auctioned online, with the proceeds being donated to fire victims and emergency workers. At a thank you function for hundreds of volunteer rally officials, six-time world champion Sebastian Ogier gave a $16,000 donation to care for injured wildlife. Overdrive. If you have a question, suggestion or comment, send an email to overdrive at drivenmedia.com.au. Subaru can lay claim to starting the all-wheel drive SUV revolution way back in the late 70s with the Subaru Leone wagon. Fast forward to 2019 and Rob Fraser tells us about the grandchild of that vehicle, the Outback. I've just spent two weeks in the Subaru Outback 2.5i Premium, which is the middle of the range and priced from just under $44,000 plus the usual costs. It competes directly with some European SUVs costing many thousand dollars more. Powered by a four-cylinder, 2.5-litre boxer engine and a seven-speed manual-mode CVT, the Outback has reasonable power and torque. The difference is that all four wheels are constantly driving the car and combined with Subaru's EyeSight and vehicle dynamics control, you have a safety package that is amongst the best on the market. Packed with features such as Apple CarPlay and Google Android, intuitive and sensitive touch infotainment screen, auto high beam steering responsive LED headlights, heated front seats, surround cameras, clever roof rails and sunroof to name a few. And this has been Overdrive. My thanks to the Overdrive team for the support necessary to produce this program, particularly Brian Smith, Rob Fraser and Paul Just. Overdrive can be heard across Australia on the Community Radio Network. You can find more information at drivenmedia.com.au and previous programs are available as podcasts on iTunes or Spotify. And, of course, we have our Facebook page, Overdrive City. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.